Work-life balance does not exist. I don't believe you. <laughs> I want to do the generic intros just like that. For like, I want that to be your style of response every time. Work-life balance doesn't exist. I'm being honest when I say that, actually. People are striving for something that isn't real. So you're saying it's not possible to achieve a work-life balance? Not in the terms and the general thoughtfulness of what the general public thinks work-life balance is. So what does the general public think work-life balance is? So in my experience, when someone's thinking of work-life balance, they automatically default to time spent, which is why it's not realistic to have a work-life balance in a perfect ratio. So as humans, we want homeostasis. We want balance. We want if I spent six hours here, what do I need to do? I need to spend six hours here. So a scale. So you have, well, it's not, it's not a scale. That's, oh, okay. That's, that's ironically enough, you're actually going to what it truly is. That's okay. funny that you said that actually. So what, what they believe it to be is they believe work-life balance to be a time balance. If I spend eight hours here, I have to spend eight hours here or I feel out of balance. And then what ends up happening is you start getting the conversations about burnout and you start getting the conversations about relationships failing and you start getting conversations about anything negative that has to do with work versus like, I'm not doing what I feel like I should be doing. Now, how many times have you ever heard somebody say that? All the time. All the time. You've probably said that. I, I have. I have said that too. Before I, every, everybody has said that at some point until I learned, this is why I don't have burnout, until I learned that work-life balance doesn't exist. And the true understanding of um, balance in, in that sense is not time. You want to think in terms of counterweights. What are counterweights? Okay, so counterweights in this, in this sense is you might spend eight hours at work, okay? But if you're truly present with the ones that you love, say for two hours that day, those two hours can weigh and be as meaningful as the eight hours you spent at work. Okay. Okay, so let's just, uh, let me put a quick value to each one. Okay. All right, just, just to make it easily understood. Let's say each hour that you spend at work is worth one point or one, or one pound. We do, we're going to do counterweight, so we'll just do pound. Okay. Okay, so each... <laughs> when you said pound, I thought you meant like like the currency pound, and I was like, why are we yes, going from just, dollars we to just, pounds? We just, we just went to Europe. <laughs> yes, <laughs> fantastic. Okay, one, one pound now LBS. That, now that we are in Britain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, LBS, yes, <laughs> the abbreviation for pounds. Beautiful. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so each hour is one pound, all right, of work. Uh, so eight hours of work would be eight pounds, right? So for you to be balanced, if you're thinking in times, uh, or if you think in terms of time, you'd have to spend eight hours with the loved one. When in reality, true presence with somebody who uh, you love and that you're truly there, you're not on your phone, you're not distracted, you're actually there with them, each hour's worth four pounds. So it only takes two hours to actually counter you out, especially if the people that you're with, they you understand their love language. Like, hey, am I... We had this conversation earlier. We did in the car. Hey, are, are, well, I'm acts of service and affirmation, right? So we got blue. So I'm acts of service and affirmation, all right? So if I'm receiving that, I don't need eight hours of that. Unless I'm a narcissist, right? Okay, yeah. So if you're at work for eight hours, but when you come home, you're truly present and you're available and we spend two great hours together, we can welcome Blue to the podcast and, we, right. can, and, we, and we can be tr truly together in that sense. Like an hour and a half to two hours is going to counterweight that eight hours of work. Okay. That makes sense. Because when we talked about you and D, your wife, yeah. um, you said that 
she told me that if you spend one hour together, just one hour in the morning, mm-hmm. and you, like the rest of the day, you're both in a great mood and you're both so fine. If you yeah. just dedicate one hour to each other of reading or just a conversation or watching TV or something, you're fine. Yeah, because because she's quality time. Yes. Exactly. So if we we set ourselves up for success by just spending an hour in the morning in the word, that's what we. So that's what we do together now. And what I've noticed and what truly solidified this theory that I had was that with you, by using counterweights, using that system versus time, you can set yourself up for success for an, an extreme longevity because she feels good the rest of the day. And she even told me tonight, she was like, I'm okay with you working a lot right now. I know you guys are trying to build new things and it's really exciting. So like, I actually don't, you spent an hour with me this morning, so I still feel really good. Really? And that's a perfect example of us being working on different projects for the past 12 to 14 hours and feeling great about it. I still feel good. Right. I got yeah. to spend some, you watched me spend some time with, you watched me spend an hour with the kids. Yeah. I spent some time with Anya. I held her, gave her a bottle, put her to bed, spent, spent a little time watched with Wyatt. Watched Wyatt build his Legos. Watched Wyatt build his Legos. Exactly. Yeah. But that's a perfect example. And you of, were intentional with it. You weren't distracted. You weren't thinking about work or t- we weren't talking about work while we were sitting there. Right. You spent an hour with them. Yep. And you feel good. I feel great. And I bet why it feels great. Oh, he was he he, he was amazing. He yeah. Was, he was like, I'm ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like he was good for the night. He was filled. Yes. So that's that's really the difference in understanding that work life balance does not exist in the general terms of what the public believes it to be because they always default it to time spent. Time spent is not a measurement of balance. It's, it's just how long you were there. Let's face it. When you're at work, if you're at a job that you don't love, you're not working for you're eight not hours. Working you're not working the might whole time. Be, you might be working for an hour and a half. Yeah. You're not working the whole time. You're not present the whole time. Yeah. The entire eight hours. If you go to a, any office job, I know, I know that you're not working for the entire eight hours. Yeah. And so it's not fair to beat yourself up over that. Plus, you don't get the choice. I mean, you do get the choice. But to go to work for eight hours mm-hmm. and then come home and... I have to spend eight hours with my wife. There's only how many hours are there in a day? Yeah, well, it's not possible. Yeah, you're starting to do the math and recognize like, well, if I have to drive to work and drive home from work and I sleep, it's actually not possible. No. And to see other people. You're not accounting for social time, time for yourself, time with your wife. Like there's just. You don't even have time to eat. No. Better, better not do anything alone. Okay, so your example of you and D, mm-hmm. do you think that's the same for everybody? Or do you think every, say, couple has like different, a different time, a different balance? Oh, everyone, I believe, will have a different... I mean, I'm sure there's similar couples where like the guy's acts of service and the woman is um, quality time. Like, okay. I'm sure there's, there's similar, you know, patterns there. Yeah. But when it comes to... It, it comes down to a conversation. Okay. So me and D did not understand this in the beginning. So we would have struggles. We would have difficulties with like, hey, you're spending a lot of time over there and I'm not getting any time. I'm getting like secondhand you. And I was like, well, what does that mean? What does that even mean? Are you getting secondhand me? I'm sure these are conversations that, that you guys have, at home have, have heard and either had before. So, hey, what is, what is I'm, I just get whatever's left over. And like I had to search intrinsically to learn, well, what, what does that actually mean? And then it came down to me learning more about her and figuring out, well, what does she actually need and how can I provide it? And it just so happened to be that work that it worked out that, you know, if she has an hour in the morning, an hour and a half in the morning, I mean, it sets us both up for success. She's motivated and has momentum in doing what she wants to be doing that day, whether it's homeschooling, whether it's being with the kids, whether it's doing 
you know, she loves doing yard work. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I don't get it, but she <laughs> yeah. does. Yeah, so she loves doing doing that stuff. So whatever it may be, you know, she's often doing that. And then I'm working on projects if we're not doing like one-on-one calls together and things like that. But it's 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 that time. So I can set the entire family up for success in an, in 90 minutes a day by being present. Most people think like, oh, I don't have eight hours at home. Well, no, of course not. You're probably not going to. Even when you do decide for yourself if you have your own business. If you have your own business, there's a very good chance you spend less time at home than you do if you had a job. Especially in the beginning. Because you have to get the critical mass of the business up and running. Which I mean, we're in the process of getting this podcast up and running. And yeah. today is like a... It's 11 p.m. right now. It is 11 p.m. while we and were we filming. S- and we started at 2 p.m. today. Yep. And we have not stopped going. Yeah. But... There's nobody upset in the house. No. Everybody's happy. Even the dog, even the animals are happy. There's a cat. I mean, <laughs> you got a cat right there. You got blue right there. Blue, yeah. For anybody wondering, blue is a sphinx cat. So he is hairless. <laughs> yeah. A- if you can't tell why this cat looks bald. <laughs> yeah. He is amazing. He's super cool. I love sphinx cats. He's a lovely man. So, yes. Yeah, so we have two of them. We have, uh, he's, his name's blue. And then we have another one named Farah. But they're just, they're happy. Yeah, every, everybody's happy. And it truly came down to understanding and having a conversation about like what actually matters. So I think that's the key. So, so if you're in a household together with somebody, you can look at them and you go, hey, what actually matters? I can tell a story about this, actually. Dee and I were in vacation in Florida. This is years ago now. And we, we, we had struggles just like any other couples had before. And we weren't communicating well and while on vacation. You ever heard of family fighting on vacation? Never. <laughs> yeah, that's actually the time that you're not supposed to fight. Is you're supposed to be so happy. Yeah. That's when you go home. <laughs> right. Yeah, so um, we actually went to lunch one day, just, just her and I. And we sat down. We, we had, this is sick. You know what, Wyatt was one. So this is six years ago. And we just sat down and we actually looked at each other and we said... What actually matters to you? Like, what matters to you in this marriage? What matters to you in this relationship? How can I do better for you? And we each answered it. And ever since that day, things have been better. I think this is going to turn into a conversation of priorities, too. Well, that's where the counterweights actually come from. That's how you assign a weight to the time that you're investing in whatever it is that you're investing. So if you have purpose built in um, creating an entire movement to end, you know, a a pain point within people, such as financial suffering, the time that you put in has a lot of weight to it. Right. And if you understand how your relationships at home work and what they actually need and what actually resonates with them and what actually fills them up, that's going to hold weight to it. But let's just say, and this is, and this is where our conversations really started so many years ago about like what actually matters is because I am acts of service. So if you clean the kitchen, I'm going to be your best friend. Like, we're going to be tight. Like, we're going to be good. Like, I'll do, I'll do whatever you want. <laughs> but that because that's how I receive it, that's how I was trying to give it. But she didn't receive it like that. So she's quality time, and I'm over here working my butt off, right? And then I get home. Like, I did all these things, and she's like, I really need you to watch this show with me. I just need you to sit down next to me. I'll be like, or like, I need like a massage or a back rub. I'll be like, how much do I need to do? Yeah, that's like a really big part of understanding relationships. I actually just learned about this in one of my psych classes is a lot of relationships struggle for so long because they don't understand how the other person receives love. So the time that you spend 
the time that you like the weight that or the time that you're spending isn't intentional enough because you don't understand what the other person wants from you. So this conversation is so important. Yeah. So therefore it doesn't hold any weight. No, it doesn't hold any weight because you're like, if you walk into the house with a gift, you bought D a new, a, a ring, a new ring mm. or a necklace or something. And that's not her love language. Sure. She'll be grateful for it, but she's still going to want you to spend time with her because yeah. that's what's more important to her. Jenny from the block. My love don't cost a thing. <laughs> so true. No. All right. Awesome. <laughs> don't know what that is, but go ahead. <laughs> no, I knew you weren't going to know. <laughs> There's no thoughts behind these eyes. So go ahead that, though. That's, pro- <laughs> <laughs> that's a song from two Thousand. Well, I was born in. I was born in 02, so that's before my time. Yeah, that's how I. That's how I knew it. Okay. Jennifer Lopez song. I can't believe I remembered it. (laughs) There was like a whole thing. My love don't cost a thing. Awesome, but we're side we're sidetracking. So, how do you not love? (laughs) So, that's how you understand counterweights. So the only way to add weight to your system is to understand what actually matters. So there's a few factors that go into this. Time management, time blocking. We, we've, we, we talk about time blocking. We, we can hit it here too, but time blocking is a big one because <clears throat> if you don't understand where, when and where you're going to be putting your time into, where you're going to be putting your presence into, that's when you get scattered. You get pulled all over the, any, any place possible. There's so many opportunities. You're inundated with opportunities, so therefore... You don't know what to say no to, when to say no to it, and what actually is going to hold weight for you in either your conversations, your relationships, your business, whatever it may be. So time blocking is a big one. And the second one is having and understanding your North Star. So if you don't have a direction, every decision is right. And every decision is wrong at the same time. All Every opportunity that comes to you, just, well, where do you want to go? I don't know. Well, then pick any door you want. How are you intentional if you don't have some sort of North Star? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so elaborate on time blocking. What's time blocking? Okay, so time blocking is you are just deciding when and where you are going to be focused and what you're going to be focused on. It can be that simple. And most people go like, oh, I'm going to have a time block from noon to 4 p.m. to focus on this. Way too long. Okay. Way too long. You're, you're going you're gonna to lose your focus way before you hit the four-hour mark. Okay. You can get more done in half an hour with time blocking. Hey, from noon to 12.30, I'm going to focus only on reviewing the analytics behind the content that I am placing out to see what kind of patterns I can build and that way I can get in front of more people to help more people. Really? I was always under the impression that time blocking should be more general and you should like just these hours are for this. So I I would challenge you to as opposed to going these hours are for this. I would challenge you. Go ahead and keep that. Yeah. But what you can do is every half an hour have an alarm go off and write down how much you got done before and I bet the last half hour that you it's going to be one of the two. Either the first half hour, you're going to be super sharp and you're going to get it all done. Or it's going to be the last half an hour. And everything in the middle, you're looking at social media, you're uh, you're justifying things to yourself, your own mind is lying to you, and you don't get as much done as you think. I bet you can do what you do in five hours in one hour if you, if you lower the block to one instead of five. That's a steep bet. It is a steep bet. How much you want to put on it? You know the house I want you to sell me? <laughs> you would bet you would bet a house. Alright, so you want thirty thousand dollars off on a house. <laughs> yes. Essentially. I bet you can get done in one hour, one and a half hours, then then you do it in five. Alright, I will if you lower that time block. I will journal it. Yeah. 
I will. Yeah. So every to be determined. If I have a house next podcast, (laughs) next podcast we're gonna open it signing contracts. Yeah, and son of a (laughs) (laughs) shaking hands. I didn't realize uh, the episodes were that long, and it took that long to go through them. So understanding a North Star is really important. Your time management, your time blocking is just you deciding, I will only focus on this during this period of time. The, the people's biggest mistakes, though, are I'm going to put out four or five hours. It's, it's just too long. Okay. Just make it half an hour. Make it 45 minutes. And make it very specified. And then the most difficult part about your time blocking is protecting it. Because the second you truly, truly set it, the first thing that happens is somebody calls. Somebody calls or somebody's like, you want to go, you want to go get lunch, but at three o'clock instead of noon when your time block says you can do things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what you have to do is you have to protect it by saying no. That allows you to say no. It gives you an excuse to say no, which is important. And then on top of that, people will, over time, people will recognize your time blocks and they will operate around them. So you'll become the authority. So I saw this video the other day. I was watching it actually about time blocking and like building your ideal schedule and sticking to it. And somebody said, the guy in the video said, I don't say I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. He says, I say I choose to not focus on that because it gives him the authority and it, the autonomy to choose what he's putting his energy into. It's not saying I don't have time because you do have time if you wanted to make the time you could, but you're choosing to prioritize other things over whatever that thing is. I think what I like about that statement too, that person is very honest. Yeah. And that person understands the importance of the story that they tell themselves. Yes. Elaborate on that. About the story that you tell yourself? Yeah. So the story that you tell yourself is what allows um, your your truth to be told. So what whatever you tell yourself is what's possible. Okay. So sight is a function of the eyes. And vision is a function of the heart. Okay. So what's the difference between sight and vision? So sight is what you get. Sight's what you see. Right. Okay. All right. If you want to do anything in life that someone before you has not done, or somebody, or somebody that looks like you, somebody acts like you, somebody um, from your area, whatever it may be, for you to be able to accomplish that, you have to have faith. You have to have vision. So vision is a function of the heart. That is telling you what I, what I am, what am I capable of? Right. There is nothing in my background that says. Um, Anything above average success. Okay. That was within me. That was within my vision. My vision of ending financial suffering. That is not, that is not seen. That is not of the eyes. If you look around, it doesn't look like I'm making a lot of progress. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of people struggling. There's a lot of bad financial teachings. There's a lot of bad practices. There's a lot of short-term gratification. And the list goes on. But vision is a function of the heart. So that's what gives me direction in the actions that I take and the projects that I want to work on and the missions that I have. Sight is simply a function of the eye, and that's what you get. So a lot of people say, seeing is believing. No, it's not. Seeing is what's truth, factual, and in front of you. Faith is believing. Believing in something is something... Believing, the the definition of it is that you can't see it. That's belief. Belief is your vision inside you. Okay. Can you give an example of something else? Like someone else, not just you. Someone else? Yeah. With with vision, you mean? Yeah. Or like the difference between sight and vision? Yeah. Think of anybody that's come from a harder situation than you and is, and is ahead of you. That's a function of the heart. 
Anything that's created, anybody that's ever created a mission that seems too big to be true. Now, there's some easy examples of large company owners and things like that. But if you think about people who are trying to cure disease, if it hasn't happened yet, right? At some point, someone... Okay, that one did it. I get that. that I get that. Yeah. Somebody cured polio at some point. I don't know who it was. But somebody (laughs) created a, a vaccine for polio, right? Yeah. Before that was done... That was a vision of the heart. The first person to run a four-minute mile, that was a vision of the heart. Nobody had ever seen it before. So okay, anything, so you're so saying... So anything that hasn't been done that somebody wants to do is a vision of the heart. And and anybody... Let's say... Give me give me a, a goal of yours. Um, I want to be... I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 25. Okay. Do you know anyone else that's a millionaire by the time they're 25? No. It's a vision of the I heart. I don't know anybody, no. It's, it's a vision of the heart. <laughs> okay. Okay, so it's essentially... Not, it's, not a, it's not around you. Yeah. So essentially sight is like almost putting a ceiling on you. Oh, without question. You can't see out of this room. Okay. You're just trusting there's another thing on the other side of the door. Okay. When you drive down the road at night, when you're driving home tonight, you can't see in front of your headlights. No. You're just trusting that there's road there. You have vision. You have faith that the road is there. Okay. So... The, um, the the vision of the heart is anything that you can't see. So you actually practice this every day. You just weren't aware of it. You have faith in what we're doing. You wouldn't be doing it. Actually, yeah. You have faith in your photography. You had faith in your videography. Yeah. I just hadn't seen anybody else do it. That's actually a good example because when I first started photography, everyone was like, you can't do that as a full-time job. That's not a job. She uses the word everybody. Everyone, no, I was getting at, there. At, I would like to look directly into the camera to the people. Okay? She uses the word everybody very loosely right there. <laughs> okay. Everybody except for Todd. When there I, we go. When I first started. But here, why? Because. Vision is a function of the heart. Yeah. But go ahead. Yeah, because when I first started, everyone was like, you, except for Todd, everybody except for Todd, was uh, like... You can now say everybody, okay. we all understand it. Everybody <laughs> said, that is a part-time job. That is a side hustle. That is not something that people do full-time. You cannot make a job of that. You will be poor. <laughs> <laughs> that is a sense... It's always ended in, you will be poor. That's like everyone's... That's basically what everybody solidified said. ...solidified hammer of like, this is why you should listen to me. And... Gavel, anvil, gavel. Yeah. yeah. The idea of me being my own boss or the idea of me not using a college degree, that was wild because mm-hmm. nobody before me had done that. Like in my family, at least mm-hmm. in our, in, in our family before me, nobody had succeeded without a college degree. Yeah. But then Todd was like, you know, you can do that, right? <laughs> that's basically what he said the first time i said can't in front of him he said what do you want to do when you get when you get older because i was probably like a sophomore in high school Seven. i was gonna say 17 yeah i was so. probably a sophomore in high school he's like what do you want to do when you get older and i was like um i don't know i think i'm gonna go to college for like maybe communications or business but i want to be a photographer but i can't do that that's not that's not like a job people have and todd was like you know you can like do that right but you don't have to you, you don't have to go to college if you want to do that. You can just do that, right? That's that's possible. 
I was like, no. And he was like, yeah. And then, nah, here I am. Yeah, I, I think I told you to start that day. You did. You had like a little point and shoot camera. I did. And I was like, you should start today. You should tell someone that you'll take their picture for a hundred bucks. I did. And then I turned to you and I said, I'll take your picture for a hundred bucks. And, and I was like, really set myself up on that one, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> this is like the house all over again. Yeah. <laughs> so in the discussion about vision, how do you go about discovering, finding, deciding what that vision is? Because a lot of people have no idea. They have no idea about what? What their vision is. It's actually a very simple answer. It's developed through practice and experience. Okay. So it's not about the many problems in the world. It's about the one that you experienced. What one hit home for you? What one hit home for you? What one hit home for me? Give me an example. Um, I always wanted to play professional baseball. Okay. Right? So I came up in a baseball family. My father played professionally. Um, he played in the Pirates organization. So we were always Pirates fans right off the beginning, you know, right off the bat. But it's something that baseball had become, it, you know, it's a big business now. There's a lot of money involved in everything. So I was always fascinated by opportunity, baseball, money, all the things, right? So once baseball ended, I recognized that I wanted to end my financial suffering. Like after I lost what I thought my purpose was, I had to find myself. So I had to go into understanding, like, how do I create a vision for myself? And then at first, you know, it, it, it was built through business and it was built through practice and going to jobs that I didn't like and just really reflecting back on, okay, what is what has affected me over time? And there's many problems out there, but what's the one that keeps resonating with me? And mine was, I'm really tired of not knowing where rent's coming from. And then once I solved it, I recognized that um, financial hardship I'm not saying that there's different challenges out there, but financial hardship many times is a choice. It might not be an aware choice, but at the end of the day, it is a choice. So once I solved mine, I recognized there's an opportunity for other people to do that too. So I ended up teaching a couple people naturally, and they got to be in really good, strong financial positions. And I saw their change in their life, and I was like, that's it. That's the one that keeps resonating and coming back to me. So it's not about the many problems in the world because there are so many. It's really about the one that keeps coming back to you. Okay, so ending financial suffering is a huge goal. That is a big thing to go after. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. So you're you like the idea of chasing something that? I mean, people are going to argue that this is that's impossible. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. All right. The visions in here, right? Yeah. They're only seeing with these. They're not seeing with that. They're not seeing with the heart. Because nobody's ever their, ended it. They're Nobody. only seeing with their eyes, right? What's funny is that many people have ended it for themselves. Many people have ended it for other people, too. There's a lot of good people out there that are you know, working hard to do similar, similar acts and have similar missions. And they've had a lot of success. But people typically ignore that and go to, back to the problem and the size of it. Well, the size of the problem is only chipped away by new followers, new adopters, new practicers. So that's why it's so important to affect younger generations, move into uh, the adult generations, and then move into um, the next generation after that. So 
if you're trying to build a movement, if you're trying to solve a problem of this magnitude, one, it's probably going to take your entire life. I'm more than aware of that. I have to be dedicated and, uh, and open to that and understand that. But what it does is it creates, it does create a lot of purpose, but that, that vision continues to grow every single day because I get better at it every single day. And what we're doing now, and when I was being called to leave an eight-figure business to be more in the public space and be more affordable, be more in front of more people, like that just goes with that vision. Like if I didn't have that vision for myself, I didn't have that confidence. I mean, there's no way I make that move. It, it, it doesn't make sense in, in, on any planet <laughs> to leave um, what had been built over time. But that's what I was being called to do. So have you ever felt just overwhelmed? Like this is a big goal, huge goal. And you're just so overwhelmed that you don't know where to start. Yeah, I would be lying if I said no. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Because I, mean, I would look at that and I would just, so many pieces and parts and you're just like. You, you know, one of the first questions I asked myself was, how do I contact 7 billion people? That's a good question to start with. <laughs> How do I contact 7 billion people? So if there's 7, there's 8 billion now. So 8 billion people. So if there's 8 billion people on the planet and I want to end financial suffering, 8 billion people need access to me some shape, way, or form. What was the answer you came up with? I don't have an answer yet. Okay. This is definitely the start to it. I think that's the beautiful part about vision is the more you experience, the more you practice, the clearer it gets. Yeah. So I was behind... Um, what I would consider a, a sizable paywall for a long time. So all my teachings were very private. Now people got amazing results and the, you know, the testimonials are there and that's what really proved it to me that what we were doing works, but I was never going to reach my mission if I'm not free. So we have to be in a space like this. I need to be on a platform that people are already on, that there's billions of users and it's free for them to access. So that's exactly why we're here. Like this is part of the, this became part of the vision. This didn't start as a vision eight years ago, right? Yeah. So your vision continues to gain clarity over time. And that comes through practice and experience and reflection. I don't even think it gains clarity. I think it gets bigger over time because you talk about how your vision originally, you thought baseball was it. You thought I'm going to play professional baseball. I'm going to be a pitcher. I'm going to go to the major leagues. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it shifted to business. But I'm sure when you started business, it wasn't this big either. It wasn't, I'm going to end financial suffering. I'm sure it was, I'm going to end my financial suffering. So your ceiling exactly. just kept going up and up and up. Exactly. Exactly. It, the one problem that resonated with me is I didn't know where lunch was coming from. And once I solved lunch, I was like, how do I get dinner next week? And then I solved dinner next week. And then it became, how do I pay rent? And then I figured out rent. Oh, I wonder if we could ever buy a house. And I figured out how to buy a house. Like, And it's just, it kept stepping up. It kept cycling up to the point where... I wonder if I could solve this for other people. And then I worked with a couple people privately and it worked for both of them. And then it was, well, let me try that a few more times. And there was a handful more, handful more people worked for them. I was like, well, let's start a community and see if other people are interested in that. And then the community grew. And then so many people were affected and had positive results from that. And then it became, well, what if I could pass on my message without me having to be the one to relay the message right at this moment? That way it can be more scalable. So then I started recording things and then that worked. So it just, as you, to your point, it just kept growing. The, like, the broke, break through new ceilings 
and then have those become floors over time by putting in little processes and systems and reflecting on what works and what doesn't. Okay, so if you and were then to... It got, and then it got to the point where I've worked with over 10,000 people now. So if you were to or somebody were to approach the baseball Todd, mm-hmm. the Todd who is on the pitcher's mound, say, even in college, not even high school, college, yeah, and told him, this is going to be your vision, this is where you're going to be, you're at. What do you, what do you think you would have done? <laughs> That's a good question. No one's ever asked me that before. You probably wouldn't have believed it. There's a piece of it that I would have believed. Okay. But it wouldn't have been like necessarily the vision or anything. It yeah. It wouldn't have been like what the mission is. Yeah. It would have been, hey, you own your own business. Okay. Because I always knew that if baseball didn't work, I never had a backup plan. Yeah. I was never a plan B guy. I was always plan A. Uh, if plan A didn't work, I always knew I would have to own something of my own. And the reason that is, is because I watched my father go to work for... Uh, you know, at the time of college, you know, I was 22, 23. So I watched him go to work for 22, 23 years at that time. I'd get up at 4 a.m. and get home at 4 p.m. And I was just never that guy that could do that. Yeah, so a piece and of that, was... Here we are at midnight. <laughs> I, I could never do that in someone else's business, I guess. They yeah. didn't have a, a big purpose and a big mission behind it. Yeah. You can never <laughs> just do it for the money. Yeah, For the paycheck. So that's what's funny. That's what's funny about ending financial suffering is... You don't teach about doing it for the money. You would think to end financial suffering, it would be all about money. But 90% of doing well in finances is understanding yourself, understanding your emotion, emotional intelligence, understanding your relationships, purpose, purpose yeah. vision, all of these things to allow you to be consistent because money just shows up when you're consistently acting in the proper way. So if you don't have any money right now, just act differently. Okay. And you'll get a different result. And then if it's better... Do more of it. And if it's worse, don't do that again. Do something else. It just becomes a lot of different like trial and error. That was solidified when I moved in here and I found out my neighbor is my old boss. Tell that story. That is such a good story. We're in we're in the podcast room right now, by the way. This yeah. is still Todd's house. Finally, we're in a room that was built for this. <laughs> we keep we have around. lights on the ceilings. We keep moving around the rest of the house. Finally, we're in the room that was actually meant for. We made it to the podcast room. Anyway, tell that story. I am enjoying moving about the house. It's actually been a lot of fun creating that. So, yeah, after baseball, I worked a few odd-end jobs. Again, attempting to end my financial suffering. What that was rooted in was I need to end my financial suffering. So I need a job that will pay me well enough to pay rent, right? So I tried all kinds of different things. So I ended up working at... A bunch of different, uh, a di- bunch of different jobs, and then the one specifically that we're talking about now. I, I uh, sold cars for a little while. When I say a little while, it might have been a week. I was gonna say it wasn't in a really short period of time. Very short period. Of- well, I was unhirable. <laughs> Entrepreneur? No, just no skill set. <laughs> but uh, so I worked at a car dealership for a couple of weeks. A, a big one, like one of the largest, might be the largest in Ohio. Big one, super super successful, and. Um, so I got to know the two owners. I got to know the owners a little bit in those couple of weeks. And then I ended up leaving and trying different things and then building the business. And then, you know, eight years later, <laughs> uh, we move in to our house and across the street, there's my old boss. So we get to, he gets to wave at me and he comes over. He's, he's like, I'll never forget this. Him and him. And I think it was his cousin that he, that he walked over with. And he was like, no way. <laughs> So we were laughing about like, hey, you know, because I used to work for him. And so we were joking back and forth and everything. And he leaned into his cousin. He was like, he learned what side of the table to sit on. I was like, yes, I did. So that was kind of a cool moment. 
that's what really solidified in me. Like it's just actions. It's just your current result, where you are at today is just the sum of the actions you've taken up to this point. Every single action you take leads to where you are now. Yes. That's it. So if you are not happy with where you're at, one, I totally get it. (laughs) I've been in that spot. But it is just the sum of the actions you've taken up to that point. You told me at one point, you said, you said, evaluate everything you do. Every time you go to do something or make a decision or turn in a direction, think, is this going to put me closer to my goal? Is this going to Blue, blue. <laughs> is this going to put me closer to where I want to be? And if the answer is no, don't do it or figure out how to not do it. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You can. It's. It can be a very simple reflection, such as that. It can be. Is this getting me closer to my goal that I have today? If the answer is no, you don't do it. Then another great question you can ask yourself: the second you start to do something, it can be absolutely anything. You can ask yourself the question: Is this income producing? If the answer is no, you put it down. Now, for a period of time, you're going to go, it feels like I'm not doing anything then because you have to keep putting things down. And that's the day that you'll recognize 80% of your day is not income producing, which is your time blocking, which is understanding your vision, which is understanding that uh, work-life balance doesn't exist. Where your priorities are. It's where your priority, exactly. That's how someone who works 20 hours a day, 18 hours a day, 16 hours a day, you see some of these, you know, massive entrepreneurs and they go, there's no way they're happy. They are joyous. Many times they are happy. It's because they've given themselves the space to allow themselves to be obsessed with the thing that they love. So it allows them to do it. They aren't breaking down to someone else's ideals of what's right for you. So they allow themselves to, to, to just be okay in what they love. And they understand counterweights, inevitably. So if they're holding relationships or anything like that, if they're keeping any sort of mental health, if they're keeping any sort of balance in their life, it's from understanding counterweights and knowing that what they're doing, you can, well, get up here already, commit to it, buddy. And, and understanding that what they are doing is what they love. Okay. He's like, I'm going to bump the mic. I'm going to beat up the mic. I'm going to be all in your way. Right? Okay, so what about when something doesn't appear income producing? So say... So it just doesn't look income producing right away? Yeah. So if you're sitting there and you're... Say you choose to read a book. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be income producing? Me reading this book in this very moment, I'm not producing income while I'm doing it. So you have to have... Well, this goes back to sight and vision. You have to have the vision and understanding that if I am reading a book, I am investing in myself, and at some point I will get a financial return from it. Assuming you are reading something productive. Okay. You can't just be reading whatever. And, you know, you can't be reading a a fiction book that's fully simply for entertainment and numbing thyself. Yeah. And thinking that you're going to get better because of it. If you're reading something that is specific towards an improvement that you want to make, you have to understand the first tier consequence is... You know, reading is difficult for me. It's slow. I don't see a return from it right away. But you have to understand the second, third, and fourth tier consequences are I'm smarter, I'm more aware, and I'm more skilled, and all the money follows that. So just understanding that there's multiple tiers and consequences to each action that you take and understanding that you really want to start with a painful one because pain brings comfort. If you start with comfort, instant gratification, it'll eventually bring pain. And you can also look at everything that you're doing right now Okay, I'm not happy with where I'm at. This is the sum of my actions. What have my actions been up to this point? Always focused on on comfort. 
Yeah. I, so gu- I actually guarantee that. Every decision, you told me this, you said every decision, there's the easy path. And then there's the harder one that's mm-hmm. probably going to cause you some pain. And you said something like 90% of the time, if you go on that harder path, you're going to, you're going to get better and life's going to be way better. You will eventually have comfort. And there's all different levels to that too. There could be, Hey, it's painful for me to move out and leave my parents' house. But it could be painful. You're taking on a lot of new responsibilities. What ends up happening after that initial pain is a bunch of comfort. You have your own space. You can make your own decisions. You can Become grow. Become independent. You have, uh, there's a million growth points after that, right? After, yeah. after uh, cleaving from the parents. And then there's also the next level of that. Like there's all kinds of within the spectrum of that. And there's, you know, the whole other level of like, I'm going to leave a multi-million dollar business to do something for free. <laughs> yes. That has some pain associated with it. But the, the potential for the level of comfort that follows that is unmatched. Because you have a vision. Because there's a vision of the heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes so much more sense when you say it like that, leaving a multi-million dollar company to work for free. Yeah. Because you have a vision and you have an understanding that you're going to do good things with this. Yes. And I see longevity in it. And I see me wanting to be consistent in it for years to come. Decades to come. Like, I'm all in. Right? I'm all in. Where I'm at today is simply the sum of the actions I've put in up to this point. And that ties back to priorities, too. The harder decision, making those priorities known. Yeah, like if you're thinking about work-life balance, how we started this conversation. Do you think it was an easy or difficult conversation to look at your spouse and go, what do you what do you really want out of this marriage? Like what is most important uh, oh, to you? Oh, that, that cannot be an easy conversation. You're like, yeah, we had it over lunch. We sat down to have a lunch and had that conversation. How it happened. We were at a place called BurgerFi. It's great. If you ever had BurgerFi, I love it. But that's where we were at. We were at BurgerFi and... I think it was Fort Lauderdale. I think that was the burger fight we were at. But yeah, that's what we did. And ever since that incredibly uncomfortable conversation, nothing but comfort. And I'm sure initially asking the question brought you some pain. You were probably like, ooh, this is going to yeah, suck. And you asked I, it and it was anxiety inducing. Yeah. What if I don't get the answer that, I'm, that I want that creates comfort in my own little life? Yeah. Turns but out now, all I, what I did learn was that D doesn't accept love through acts of service. And I was like, that's why I'm working so hard. And it doesn't, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but it, it, it isn't absorbed the same way that an hour of sitting and reading with her does. Yeah. Counterweight. Work-life balance doesn't exist. It's important to understand that sight is a function of the eyes and vision is a function of the heart. All of these things tie in together. Okay, so to tie back to the name of the podcast, Financial Favor. Yes. How do you let your vision rule over your finances? How do you let it rule over your finances? Do you let it rule over your finances? How do those two work together? So we can tie it back to a couple of things. So for, as an example, you know, somebody living paycheck to paycheck, they might not have anybody around them. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, you probably don't have anybody directly around you that isn't living paycheck to paycheck. So, or else you would have a solution out. Or exactly, you yeah. wouldn't. You you wouldn't need to understand vision of the heart. You would have sight of the eyes, and you would go, oh, "I just do that." Clearly, it's possible this person does that, right? So it's an understanding that it creates 
a new ceiling for you. It allows you to break through ceilings. All right. So that's just a quick, simple example of just like say, hey, if you happen to be living paycheck to paycheck. For ending financial suffering and why we've named this financial favor is understanding that the vision of your heart can create the financial stability in your life that you're actually looking for. Because once you're working on something that matters more than the opinions of the people around you, you will always take action on it, no matter what. You brought up earlier, like, hey, that's a really big, that's a really big mission. Probably going to take your whole life. You might not even see it, you know, to its fruition, like before the end of your life. But what's funny is that I do see it. I can see it right now. Am I 100% sure on how to get there? No. I'm fully honest, you know, fully transparent on that. But I'm working on getting there. I'm getting better at it. You're still building your vision. You're going to probably be building it for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Adding pieces and parts. The ceiling's going to keep getting higher. Mm -hmm. Understanding the infinite game is that I just want to practice well. I just want to keep playing. If I can just keep playing every single day, I can keep getting better every day. And if I keep getting better every day, my mission's getting closer. So there's a... I don't remember exactly how the story goes, but there is, it's, it's, it's a famous example of this. And that is that there's something specific at Disney world is the one in Florida, right? Yeah. Okay. So Disney world, uh, it's like a mountain or a bit one space of the, mountain, space mountain, maybe it might be space mountain. Um, it was built and completed right after Walt passed away. And somebody said to his wife, like, oh, if Walt could have just seen this, he passed away right before it was done. And she said, don't you understand? He's the one that already saw it. That is a really good example. He's He already saw it. He didn't need to see it in his life. He it, The only reason it's there is because he saw it. Wow. So that's how it can, call it rule over your finances, but it's how it can... It can, it can help you in your finances and understanding that if I have better clarity on my vision, if I reflect a little bit back in, I'm here because of the actions I've taken, how can I change that? How yeah, can I, how can I use the, the actions that I've already taken and redirect them toward my vision? Like, how do I change the actions that I'm going to make to go toward my vision? Yes. Before you spend money, is this going to put me closer to my vision or my goal? Exactly. Like, what are how are some proven ways to help create vision? How are some proven ways to make more money? How are some proven ways to save more money? What are some proven ways to create more? And all of that is out there and available. I mean, here we are right now. You can put that in the comments right now. Like, hey, what's a proven way to make more money? And I can tell you. I can put it in the comments with you. I can tell you a proven way to not make more money is financial minimalism. Don't do that. Financial minimalism is the devil. Right along with the 401k. We will get to that in another episode. Don't get him started on the 401ks. What you can do, though, if you want to support this, if you're learning anything from this, what you can do is go watch the financial minimalism video. We have a video. We have a podcast episode named Financial Minimalism is Stupid. And you can go watch that right now. And I think you should because it will help you create an understanding and a vision for ending your financial suffering and, and recognizing I am only operating with the function of my eyes through sight. And I am not operating with the vision within my heart with, with the potential that I have because everybody in financial minimalism is focused on fear 
and their 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 root is based in fear, and they're focused on staying safe and the same. And that that is done through sight. They only see what's possible. And whatever the person watching, whatever their vision is, by ending their own financial suffering, they're taking one more thing out of the way to get to their vision and to get to their goal. And what they're also doing, this is the this this is the hugely important piece to ending your financial suffering. When you end your financial suffering, what does everybody around you do? They all see it. They see it. And they open up they open up the eyes of so many more people. It doesn't have to be a vision of the heart for those people because they see it with their eyes. Only one person has to do it around you for it to become sight. And seeing is believing, right? Seeing is actually what you get. Vision of the heart is believing, and that's faith. You did it and our whole family saw it. And your whole family saw it. And the whole family is better because and of it. I can list 12 people in your family right now that are financially stable and thriving and, and moving towards, thri- either thriving or moving towards thriving because they had an example in front of them. And I'm doing it? You're a six-figure earner at the age of 20. And my friends are going to do it. And and, and they know they you, can because, because they see it. Because of you. And here you are on this podcast just realizing the, the absolute yeah. pillar of momentum that you are. It's because the people around you, they can no longer deny what's possible because they are seeing it. So before their excuse was seeing is believing, I don't see it. Now they see it. And when I say I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 25. It's going to be what, 23. But yeah. <laughs> when I'm a millionaire before I'm 25, everybody's going to see that and they're going to realize, wow, I can do that too. Can't be denied. That's crazy. Facts and numbers are proof. Can't lie about numbers. We're doing something good here. I hope. <laughs> I really do. That just made me feel really good about this. Like I really hope that we You you undoubtedly are. We're That's touching why people. I asked you to do this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So go watch that video. If you want to support this, if you want to push this out, if you want to make the people around you better, if you want to escape your financial minimalism and also <laughs> escape your financial suffering, if you want to end it, go watch that video right now. It will give you the tools to be able to apply this to make a difference in your life as early as this week. We don't ever even say bye. We just let it go. I, I don't like saying bye. Thanks, guys. Until next time.